If you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 15. Um, we've, been, we've been in this little series, and I'm going to do my best probably to finish it up um, next Sunday, and then the, the following Sunday will be Mother's Day. Um, I've tried not to get bogged down in this. There's a lot of, a lot of stuff in um, these few passages, these few chapters at the end of the book of John um, that I've kind of just skimmed over the top. I've just tried to give you the main subject for um, every portion. This John chapter 13 through chapter 18 is what's known as, as um, the upper room discourse. Um, John recorded what transpired after the Lord's Supper and um, before Jesus actually went to the cross. So this is the last few hours of his life. And I titled the series Last Words to Living Witnesses because um, he's about to leave his, the mission of his kingdom in the hands of these men uh, who had followed him for those three and a half years. And so what he's telling them in these last five chapters um, would be critical for them fulfilling that mission. Uh, they needed to hang on to some principles and some precepts and uh, in order to do what he was sending them uh, to do. These last words, I think, are just a summary of his life and of his ministry. And so I tried to focus on what I think the major subjects are in this rather than just pick every verse apart. Um, just try to focus on the main things that Jesus is trying to tell his disciples. Uh, we talked about in John chapter 13 how the, the first thing he told them was that he, um, he, he instructed them to love like he loved, love like me. And you'll find that phrase woven throughout the upper room discourse, love like me, love like me. He didn't give them the opportunity to define love as they wanted to define love. He said, I want you to love each other like I have loved you. So I think um, Jesus said and essentially and showed essentially that in humility um, that we are to love and serve other people just like Jesus loved and served us and still does the same for us um, today. Even though may not, he may not be physically with us here in person, um, he has called us to, in humility, love and serve each other like he loves and serves us every day. Believe in me. Now, they already believed in him, but I think that's an encouragement for them to continue to believe in him. And we found in John 13, 36 through 14, 14, um, he essentially said, don't ever stop believing in me. When your heart is troubled, I'm the cure. Um, when, when, when you don't know the way, I am the way. When you want to understand the truth of the Father's heart, then you look to me. When you want to live the life that honors the Father, then you believe in me. Believe in me, Jesus said, and don't ever stop believing that I'm the cure, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. Um, you'll have help. John chapter 14, verses 15 through 31 and 16, 4 through 15. Uh, you'll have help. He said, I'm just with you. Um, but when I leave you, I'm going to send another like me, and he's not just going to be with you, he's going to be in you. And the Holy Spirit is going to help you live the life that I've called you to live. He's going to teach you the things um, that you need to be taught. You're going to learn about me from him. Um, you're going you're gonna to be able to lean on him in times of trial, and you'll be able, with his help, to lead other people to me. And then last week we talked about um, Jesus in John chapter 15, verse 1 through 17, when he was talking to his disciples about who he was and about who they were. I'm the vine, you're the branches, uh, you'll bear fruit. And all of your goodness, and all of your goodness, and all of your righteousness that's given to you by the Holy Spirit, as you are filled with gratitude and tell the world about me, you'll lead other people to me. Um, we'll bear the fruit of the Spirit, we'll bear the fruit of gratitude, and we'll bear the fruit of evangelism in our lives as His followers. We will bear fruit. Now, in today's message, I'm going to jump around a little bit. And, um, and this message is going to be different from all the rest is in that I'm going to highlight 
uh, in Jesus' dialogue, a little bit of an uncomfortable truth. All of those have been good, positive things. Um, this is not necessarily a negative thing, but it is an uncomfortable truth nonetheless. If you'll look with me in John chapter 15, um, beginning in verse 18. Jesus said, If the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I said unto you, The servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. If I had not come and spoken unto them, they had not had sin. But now, that, but now they have no cloak for their sin. He that hateth me hateth my father also. If I had not done among them the works which none other man did, they had not had sin. But now have they both seen and hated both me and my father. But this cometh to pass that the word might be fulfilled that is written in their law, they hated me without a cause. But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send in, uh, send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me, and you also shall bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. These things, John 16, 1, these things have I spoken unto you, um, that you should not be offended. They shall put you out of the synagogues, Yea, the time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think that he doeth God service. And these things will they do unto you, because they have not known the Father, nor me. And then if you'll jump over in John 16 to the 16th verse, and I'm going to read through the end of the chapter. A little while, and you shall not see me, and again a little while, and you shall see me, because I go to the Father. Then said some of his disciples among themselves, What is this that he saith unto us? A little while, and you shall not see me, and again a little while, and you shall see me, and because I go to the Father. They said, therefore, what is this that he saith? A little while, we cannot tell what he saith. Now Jesus knew that they were desirous to ask him, and said unto them, Do you inquire among yourselves of what I said? A little while, and you shall not see me, and again a little while, and you shall see me. Verily, verily, I say unto you, that you shall weep and lament, but the world shall rejoice, and you shall be sorrowful. But your sorrow shall be turned into joy. A woman, when she is in travail, hath sorrow, because her hour is come. But as soon as she is delivered of the child, she remembereth no more the anguish for joy that a man is born into the world. And ye now, therefore, have sorrow. But I will see you again, and your heart shall rejoice, and your joy no man taketh from you. And in that day you shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whatsoever you shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it unto you. Hitherto have ye asked nothing in my name. Ask and you shall receive that your joy may be full. These things have I spoken unto you in Proverbs, but the time cometh when I shall no more speak unto you in Proverbs, but I shall show you plainly of the Father. At that day you shall ask in my name, and, and I say not unto you that I will pray the Father for you, for the Father himself loveth you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came out of God. I came forth from the Father and am come into the world. Again, I leave the world and go to the Father. The disciples said unto him, Lo, now speakest thou plainly, and speakest no proverb. Now are we sure that thou knowest all things, and needest not that any man should ask thee. By this we believe that thou 
camest forth from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour cometh, yea, is now come, that you shall be scattered every man to his own, and shall leave me alone. And yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. These things have I spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Now, in every one of these messages, I've tried to summarize it in three words, and I'm going to do the same this morning. The main subject of everything that Jesus said in that whole passage of Scripture, and there's a lot that he said, but the main subject of what he's trying to communicate to his disciples in this particular portion of Scripture is simply this. It'll be hard. What I'm leaving you behind to do in this world is going to be hard. You're going to have a great deal of hardships that you'll have to endure as you walk through this world on the mission that I'm sending you to. What I'm leaving you to do is not going to be done without many hardships. Now, I can just take you back over what he's already taught us and remind you of some things. Remember those things that I, the, 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 the last four sermons that I preached. Jesus told us to love like him. Love like me. And I can tell you that ain't easy when he's calling you to love somebody who acts like Judas. That ain't even easy when he's calling somebody to love, when he's calling you to love somebody that acts like you sometimes. I know that I'm not always easy to love. You not all, we not easy to love. So when Jesus said, "Love like me, love people like Judas, love Judas, uh, love Peter, knowing that he's going to deny you, love the rest of the disciples, knowing that in a few hours they're all going to betray you," it ain't always easy to love like Jesus. That's not an easy task. When Jesus said to believe in me, he knew. Um, that there was going to come a time when you no longer see him with your own physical eyes. You, never, you, you, you wouldn't hear him with your ears. You wouldn't touch him with your hands, which John wrote in his epistle that they all have the privilege of doing. But Jesus said, it's easy for you to believe in me now because you've seen, but when I go away from you, it's not going to be as easy to believe in me as it has been up to this point. Then when he said, you'll have help. It's true that we'll have help. It's true that the Spirit lives with us and in us. But it's equally true that you're going to fight a battle with your flesh every day to overcome. Uh, to, you, you, you'll, your spirit will fight your flesh every day of your life after becoming a Christian. It's a war zone, perpetually, inside the Christian. The, 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 the flesh lusteth against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh. The Bible says that they're always vying for dominance in our life. That's hard. It's a daily battle of control in our life. When he told us that we'd bear fruit with the help that he gives us, he also promised that there would come some pruning along the way, and pruning is not comfortable for the vine. Um, when, when he begins to cut away the stuff in our life that hinders our fruitfulness, um, that is uncomfortable for us. So even in just those things, it's going to be hard to love like Jesus. It's, it's hard sometimes to keep believing in him when we don't see him or hear him or feel him. Um, it's, it's, it's hard for us um, even with the help of the Holy Spirit, to fight this daily battle with our flesh. And it's hard to accept. Sometimes God disciplines us and corrects us and prunes us so that we can even be more fruitful. But in those verses that we read, Jesus speaks, I think, of even greater difficulties that his disciples would face. When he said it will be hard in those verses that we read this morning, I think he's speaking primarily to two different ways that it's going to be hard. Number one, it's going to be hard because you're going to be hated. He went so far as to say, if they hated me, 
they're going to hate you. Now, he, he clarified, they hated me without a cause. There was no real reason for the world to hate me the way that the world hated me. They hated me without a justified cause. If they hated me when they didn't have a real cause to hate me, they're going to hate you the same way. You'll be hated. You'll be hated as you follow me. They're going to hate you. Why? Um, three reasons, I think. Number one, because, because you're different. Because we are different people because of what Christ has done for us. Jesus said that, that he saved us, that we, are, that we live in the world, but that we're not of the world. We, um, we, don't, we, don't, we don't look at things the same way. We don't understand things the same way. We have a different worldview than the world has. We have different standards than the world has. We have different morals than the world has. We have, we have a different uh, a purpose a different hope. All of those things make us different from the world. And, and you know what I think? That one thing that's sad is that we're losing some of that identity today. Um, we're, we're, we're fitting in more than we were supposed to fit in. That's why the persecution has not been as intense as it once was. But if we live like Jesus, we live the kind of life like he uh, has called us to live, we're going to be different. We're going to be peculiar. We're going to have a different morals and standards and purposes and a different hope, not like the world has. Jesus said in, in that 19th verse of the 15th chapter um, that if we were of the world, the world would love us. But because he's chosen us out of the world, therefore the world hates us. They hate us because we are different than they are. We don't fit in. We stand out. We're peculiar, and the world doesn't like that. Um, secondly, I think, uh, Jesus pointed out, the world's going to hate you, not just because you're different, but because you're making a declaration with your life and with your lips. Um, you are declaring truth. Um, you are declaring light into the darkness. You are declaring truth into the deception. You are not content to sit silent in the middle of that darkness and deception. But by the way that you live your life and by the words that you speak from your lips, you're making a declaration to the world that you're right and they're wrong. And that doesn't sit well in the world. John 15, 26 and 27. The spirit of truth which proceeded from the Father, he shall testify of me. You also shall bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. When we do what he's called us to do, we'll never be content to sit silently while darkness and deception creep in. Um, you know, I, you, you, I can say this the wrong way and offend people. They didn't kill Jesus because he was a really nice guy. They didn't hate Jesus because he was a really nice guy. Was he a really nice guy? He was. But he didn't sit back and ignore when there was darkness and deception present. He called it out. Even in the religious leaders, he called it out. He didn't sit back in the darkness and just pray for the deceived he didn't just sit back and watch the darkness and pray for the deceived. He didn't, he didn't sit back in silence. He made a declaration of truth. It rubbed people the wrong way. You read all the gospel accounts, and you'll realize, you'll see a lot of times that the people would say, when they perceived that Jesus was talking about them, they got mad. Especially the Pharisees. When Jesus started calling out their sinful ways, they got furious at him. 
when, when, the, when, the, when the political leaders of the day, when, when, when people like John the Baptist spoke out and said, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife, he got mad. They wanted his head on a charger because of that. It's, got, it's because God's people, by the way they live their life and by the words that they say with their lips, we're making a declaration. We're not hesitating to live and to speak light into the darkness of this world. I'll take that a step further with the third point. The world hates us because we're different. The world hates us because we're making a declaration of truth. The world hates us because they're defiant to that truth. Um, th- th- there's some things that Jesus said. It's a little bit hard to understand and follow there, but he, he said, if I had not come unto them, they had not had sin. Now, that doesn't mean that there was no sin in their life. What that means is that had I not come and said the things that I said, they would not have known that they had sin. They would not have been made aware of their sin. If I had not come and done the things that I had done unto them, they could deny that I was who I said I was. But because I've done it, now they can't deny that. Unless they deny it willingly. And, and that's what the Bible says that people do. Exactly that. In Romans chapter 1, when it starts talking about those that, um, that, are, that are living outside the will of God, that are in rebellion against God, that are defiant against God, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship Him as God. It says that they suppress the truth by their unrighteousness. Paul said the same thing about the spirit of the people um, that, would, that would be living when the Antichrist comes. Because they loved unrighteousness more than they loved the truth, they would be given over to damnation. The world is defiant about who Jesus is and what He's done. The world is defiant about the standards um, that Jesus proclaimed and lived with His life. Darkness and light cannot peacefully coexist. Um, John chapter 3, verse 16 is probably one of the most well-known passages of Scripture in all of God's Word. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. But you need to read the whole context of what He said there. Yeah, that's good news. Yeah, that's the best news. Yeah, that's the gospel news. But if you keep reading in the same context that Jesus said that, in verse 19, He said, This is the condemnation, that light is coming to the world And men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. So we're living in this. Jesus called himself the light of the world. Then he looked at us and said, and you're the light of the world. Because we carry Him with us, because the Spirit of Christ lives in us, because we live different, because we speak different, uh, because the world is defiant against that, because they love the evil, they love the unrighteousness, they love the wickedness, and they'll hate us because of our stance. Darkness and light, listen to me, darkness and light will will never peacefully coexist. In fact, darkness only exists in the absence of light. I'm going to go back and preach this subject one, not too far down the road, I think. But, um, and I, I guess I just never really considered it. We always consider when the first thing that God did in the world. Read Genesis chapter 1. The first thing God did in the world. He looked at a world that was um, wasted and chaotic is, is a good translation. It was void and without form is the King James Version. 
uh, I think New Living, some of the others says, it was wasted and chaotic and darkness prevailed over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the waters and God said, let there be light, and there was light. And we immediately assumed that that was when God created the sun. That's not the kind of light that came into the world. The sun was created, I think, on the third day, the moon on the third day. So the first light that, that, that was brought into the world was the light of the revelation of God, the goodness of God, the holiness of God, the character of God, the nature of God. Light shined into that darkness, and the darkness didn't comprehend it. Just like when Jesus came, uh, that light shined in the darkness, and the darkness didn't comprehend it. They didn't want it because their deeds were evil. The world is defiant. They have always been. There's always been a vying for dominance between light and darkness. Our job as Christians is not to sit back and watch the darkness creep over the face of the earth. Our job as Christians is to run, shine the light. That's not going to make us popular with the world. The, the difference in the way we live our life, the things that we declare with our lips, and the fact that the world is suppressing the truth in their unrighteousness, will make us hated by the world. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. John chapter 16, verse 2. The time cometh. He said, they're going to put you out of the synagogues. And the time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think that he doeth, that he doeth God service. And I don't want to chase, I'm not going to chase any rabbits here. I know these kids are going to get restless pretty quick. So I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to be long-winded this morning. But I, you, there's a spirit that is invading our culture and our nation right now that is laying the blame for a lot of what's going on at the feet of Christianity. You, you, if, you, if you read anything on social media, commentary and stuff on videos, people, people will say religion, especially evangelical Christianity, is the source of most of our problems. They call us bigots. They call us homophobes. They call us all kind of, of, of unsavory titles. If, if, we, if the Christians would just sit down and shut up, there'd be peace in our world. It's because the world is suppressing the truth because they love righteousness. The world that the disciples were about to go into was going to get ugly quick. And, and by the way, it was not going to change for a 300 years. It was going to be ugly. You look at the time of the Roman, before Rome became a Christianized nation, there were 300 years basically that elapsed between the crucifixion of Christ and Rome becoming a Christian nation. And during that time, they were taking Christians. Nero took Christians, tied them to a stake in his gardens, doused them with oil and used them as human torches. Captured Christians that were living and speaking truth, covered them with, 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 with blood and turned them loose in an arena full of lions to tear apart limb by limb while the crowd cheered. That's the world that the disciples were going into. And that's, I'm afraid that's the world that we're headed to. It may not look just like that. But the darker the world becomes, the more hostile it's going to become to the light that's in us. 
The second reason that it's going to be hard is simply because we're going to have troubles. Because you'll be troubled. In the world, you're going to have all kinds of tribulations and trials. Um, I'm, I'm not going I'm, I'm to stay here too long. But two things that when, when Jesus is talking here, two things stood out to me. You're going to have troubles. You're going to have sorrows that result from your own sense of confusion about what's going on. You'll be troubled because you'll have sorrows that are a direct result of you being confused about what's happening. Now, um, if you follow me, in this text, Jesus told the disciples, you don't always understand what I'm trying to tell you. You don't always understand what I'm trying to teach you. You're troubled right now because I've told you that I'm going to go away, and then I'm going to come again, and then I'm going to go away again. You don't understand that. And, and, and essentially what he told them is you're not going to understand that until it comes to pass. After it comes to pass, you're going to... And it, listen, um, the truth of the matter is, is the disciples, um, Jesus' death did not make any sense to them whatsoever. It didn't make any sense to them until after they saw him resurrected and then ascended. Then they, then they understood why he died. Then they understood what had to happen from that point forward. Then they understood that he was coming back again. And whatever they had to go to was worth that second coming um, that they were looking forward to. He, but Jesus says sometimes you're going to have trouble in the world that, that is a direct result of the fact that you're confused. You don't understand what's happening. You don't understand why it's happening. Can, can I tell you there's a lot of times in our walk with Christ that things are going to happen to us that we do not understand, it'll even make us wonder if we're really winning. I quit a long time ago trying to answer people's questions why. I don't know. And sometimes we won't know until we can look back in hindsight in our life and then we can see very clearly what God was doing. But sometimes it might take years, decades. Sometimes we may not even know until we get on the other side what God was doing and why He was doing it. Jesus said, in the world, you're going to have troubles. Some of your troubles is just going to be simply because you don't know what's going on and why it's going on. But when we begin to know, that's when your sorrow turns to joy. When your faith becomes sight, your sorrow turns to joy. The second reason is because we'll be scattered sometimes because of our own failures. Jesus warned his disciples that in the next few hours, when he had been smitten, that they were all going to go their own way and do their own thing. Sometimes our faith is going to falter. And sometimes we're going to get off track. And that's going to bring its own set of troubles with it. All the disciples ran that night. All of them. Now, we, we, we give a lot of press to Peter because of the way that he ran and the denial that he made with his lips. But the simple fact of the matter is the Bible says that all of them fled. There was not one. When they came and got Jesus that night to take him away to, cruci to, to crucify him, not one was left standing with him. They all went their own way. They were gradually gathered back in. But they were initially scattered. Why? Because their faith went into a moment of crisis and their faith faltered, and their faith fumbled, and, their, and in some cases, Peter's faith even failed 
Because in that moment, he denied that he even knew Christ. Sometimes our faith wavers. Anybody that says their faith don't, ain't being truthful. We walk through this life and sometimes we believe with all of our heart and sometimes we struggle to believe with just a little bit of who we are. It, 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 we, we, sometimes it's because of that confusion. We don't understand. We begin to question. We begin to doubt. We falter. We fail. And we get caught up in things that knock us off track. And we wind up ashamed, just like Peter wound up ashamed. The good news is, even though we might beat ourselves down, even though the devil might beat us down, Jesus just invites us to come home. You're going to have trouble, but you can always come home. In me, you're going to have tribulation. Be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. In all of your troubles, you can still come home. You can still get up. You can still get on with your faith. There's, there's some popular preaching today. It's, it's a prosperity gospel, and it's false. The prosperity gospel basically says if you believe enough, if you have enough faith, then your life, is, your life is going to be peaches and cream, health and wealth, no problems, no trials, no tribulations. Can I tell you that's just not true? That's not the testimony of the New Testament. In fact, I guarantee you every one of those disciples would probably tell you to a person, my life was easier before I met Christ. They weren't throwing me out of the synagogue. They weren't tying me to the stake to be burned. I was not being ostracized by my family and my friends. I didn't have the hardships. The Apostle Paul was probably a wealthy man before he went into ministry as a missionary. And he basically said, I count all of those things that I once had done so that I might win Christ. That the prosperity gospel that tells us after you come to faith in Christ, everything in your life is going to be just hunky-dory. There ain't going to be no problems. There ain't going to be no trials. There ain't going to be no... No sadness, ain't going to be no sorrows. That's just not true. It's not the testimony of the New Testament disciples. In fact, if you look at what Jesus invites us to do, you can summarize it like this. I'm inviting you to lay down your life and take up my cross. Lay down your life and take up my cross. That ain't easy. I appreciate the brother singing the song this morning. I don't know if he had a clue what the message title was. <laughs> he never promised that the cross would not get heavy and the hill would not be hard to climb. That's the Christian life. He promised that he'd be with us. But that doesn't mean that persecutions are not going to come. That doesn't mean that problems are not going to come. There's, we, we fight in a daily war zone between the world, the flesh, and the devil. And that's the reason when one of Paul's favorite terms for the Christians who were following, he would say, be good soldiers of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said a good soldier doesn't entangle himself with the world. He endures hardness. He endures Hardness. And that's what the Bible is calling us to. It will be hard. Living for Jesus ain't easy. But can I tell you, it's worth it. It's worth it now. And it's going to be especially worth it when we see Him face to face. Romans chapter 8, verse 18 
is one of those verses of Scripture that stuck in my memory a long time ago. The Apostle Paul knew all about sufferings. He knew all about trials. He knew all about troubles. He knew all about living a hard life. And he said this in the 8th chapter, which is one of the most precious chapters in all of God's Word. But right in the heart of it, he said this. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the last two verses says this, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight and glory, while we look not at the things that are seen, for the things that are seen are temporal. We look at the things that are unseen, for the things that are unseen are eternal. I'm going to tell you something. If you come to Christ, I ain't going to promise you an easy life. In fact, I'll promise you just the opposite. According to what Jesus said, you're going to have some hardships. You're going to have some persecution. You're going to have some trouble. You're going to have it from the inside. You're going to have it from the outside. That's part of a person that's living in the world but is not of the world. That's part of what we endure. I will promise you this. It ain't easy, but it's worth it. And it always will be. Every toll and trouble we experience on this earth, just one glimpse of Him in glory, will the tolls of life repay. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together as our musicians come. Lord, we, we love you. If you'd not pledged your support, your help, if you've not promised, if you had not promised never to leave us or forsake us, nobody would ever keep the faith. Nobody would ever endure. Nobody would ever persevere. We fall down. We fail. We falter. But you pick us up. Push us forward. We know the life that you've called us to live is not going to be easy. And in fact, if we look into your word, as we approach your return, Lord Jesus, you have indicated to us that it's not going to get easier, but harder. I'm not trying to discourage anybody from coming to you this morning because... There's no better life as far as I'm concerned that a man can live than a life that's been surrendered completely to the Lord Jesus Christ. So I pray, Lord, for there's one here, man, woman, boy, or girl that doesn't know Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. They see this as a challenge this morning. Anybody can live like the world anybody can wander around in the darkness but you're calling folks out of the world to live a life that brings honor and glory to you and there's no higher calling on the face of this earth than to do exactly that so I pray God for somebody here 
doesn't know Jesus as their own personal Lord and Savior, but they're ready to lay down their life and take up their cross. I pray that in this moment of invitation, you would call them, draw them, and save them when they come. I know there have been a lot of hardships and tolls and snares, as that, that, that favorite song of ours says. We've already come through them. But grace brought us safe thus far. Grace is going to lead us right on home. And we're grateful for that promise. Have your will and your way in this invitation. Maybe there's some Christians right now in this building that are just caught up in, in, in troubles of, of different kinds and different sorts, Lord. I, we, we studied a passage Wednesday night said that you hear the afflictions of the righteous and deliver us out of them all. So I pray, God, if somebody right now is just battling some things and needs to come before you and pray, I give them courage to step out as well. Have your will and your way, and whatever is accomplished, we'll praise you for in Jesus' name. Amen.